Welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the daily podcast where we read Patrick Rothfuss's The Wise Man's Fear, page by page. This is page 543. Desire of all men, beauty beyond compare. For Tempe's benefit, he made a gesture as if he was brushing out long hair. Twenty years ago, this boy's father and uncle were out hunting in this very stretch of forest as the sun began to set. They stayed out later than they should, then decided to make their way home by cutting straight through the forest instead of using the road like sensible folk. They hadn't been walking very long when they heard singing in the distance. They made their way toward it, thinking they were close to the road, but instead they found themselves at the edge of a small clearing, and there stood Falurian, singing softly to herself. Kailanian Luhail, Dimari Falanua, Kreata Tukiar, to Alaran di Derela Amanuan, Loesi Andalan, to Niavoruholan, Valurian Bay. Though Dayton made rough work of the tune, I shivered to the sound of it. The melody was eerie, compelling, and utterly unfamiliar. I didn't recognize the language either, not a bit of it. Dayton nodded as he saw my reaction. More than anything, that song gives the boy's story the ring of truth. I can't put a bit of sense to those words, but they stuck right in my head, even though he only sang it once. So, the two brothers are huddled at the edge of the clearing, and thanks to the moon, they could see it was like noon instead of night. She weren't wearing a stitch, and though her hair was almost to her waist, it was real obvious that she was naked as the moon. I have always enjoyed stories about Falurian, but as I glanced at Hespi, my anticipation cooled. She was watching Dayton, and as he spoke, her eyes narrowed. Dayton failed to see this. She was tall, with long, graceful legs. Her waist was slender, her hips curved as if begging for the touch of a hand. Her stomach was perfect and smooth, like a flawless piece of birch bark, and the dimple of her navel seemed made for kissing. Hespi's eyes were dangerous slits by this point, but even more telling was her mouth, which had formed a thin, straight line. A word of advice to you. That's the end of the page. I'm Jeremy. I'm Jordana. I'm Nick. Uh, so I read Hespi's reaction as um, kind of hard to read. I think the anger is a little odd. Um, I think the one that makes the most sense is she feels that he is describing something she is not and feels perhaps ashamed by it and that shame turns to anger um i don't feel or at least like my initial reaction here and on the previous reads until now has been that like hespi is mad that she's that he's paying attention to like another woman which is weird because she's imaginary uh so i think this new read kind of makes the most sense but i want to hear what you think no i think that's exactly what i what i think is going on he is describing Falurian, who is supposed to be like the platonic ideal of like a hot babe, right? Like the perfect woman. And Hespi does not see herself reflected in that description. And I think that it makes her upset because she's thinking, well, how could Dayton possibly be interested in me if this is the kind of woman he wants to bang? Yeah, I, I think that her reaction is kind of immature. Like it's it's not necessarily un, un, unwarranted depending on like what her life experience is, but like, 
I don't know, like, different people find all sorts of things hot. Like, even if he thought Florian was hot, it wouldn't mean that he didn't think she wasn't. Like, Well, exactly, right? We know that Dana thinks that Hespi is, like, the perfect woman. But he's just getting carried away describing a hot babe. I also think this is not this is not a fault of Dayton. This is a fault of Hespi. This is Hespi in her own head. And it's coming off as like an anger towards Dayton, but really this is has something Hespi has to deal with herself, with herself. It has nothing to do with Dayton or the way that he's speaking. Cause he should be able to tell this story. Yeah, I completely agree. But I think you're absolutely right. But also, like, most people are not that self-aware or in tune with their own thoughts and feelings. Like, I'm sorry, most people just aren't. But also, like, Dayton, the person he's describing is, like, a stock character, right? Like, he's not describing the way any real woman looks. He's describing uh, an idealized version of beauty, right? And and all his descriptions of her are, are like, almost rote uh, cliches. And he, and he continues to do it on the next page. I'd like to read the song. Do it. Sure. Uh, the first thing that's interesting is that in all of, actually I got a couple things about the, the story that Dayton's telling. I'll talk about this first because I want to get to the song is where most of my meat is. Um, the first thing about the song is that, sorry, not the song, the story is that Dayton claims that he got the story from a boy not as old as Quoth, yet the Story is set 20 years ago. Oh, I was thinking that too. It's about the boy's father and uncle. Time shenanigans. Not time shenanigans. I think that Dayton is just like, I heard this story from a lad at that very inn. It happened in this very forest. But I think he's just telling the story with a bit of flair. I don't actually think he heard it from a boy at this this inn. Well, then where did he get the song from? Well, that's that's what's interesting is that the song is actually the song that she that that she sings. This has been preserved in this in this twenty year old story. The song is word for word correct, uh, which I think is extremely interesting. And I'd like to read some of the words out of the song. Well, before you do, I just want to point out that the likeliest explanation is that the story did happen, and Dayton heard some version of it from this boy who told him the song because Dayton says like, yeah, the boy sang the song and it sounded just like that. And it's stuck in my head ever since. So like the story maybe did happen, but maybe the, the shape around the story is like something that has gotten told and retold down the years, but this specific instance of it did happen. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm sure it, you know, I'm sure some version of it did because as we know, uh, it's true. All of it. The first thing in the song that is a word that we can recognize is Amawan. Amawan is a word that is spoken by the mercenary at the end of Name of the Wind. Uh, I have the passage here. He says, Titorin Skirlot, Titorin Skirlot Amawan. Then it's in the song. And then later, we will encounter Fulurian using the word several times. She seems to use it uh, to mean attention. Or look here. She used it when, or at least once when she is exulting joy. Uh, but it seems to me to mean pay attention or look or see. And then another word here that we have perhaps seen a version of elsewhere is Losi. Now I'm not suggesting that Losi, the redheaded barmaid, 
is uh, somehow an aspect of Faluria. No, indeed, I am not. Although uh, cool and fun and kind of reminds me of Ravel Puzzlewell from the Planescape Torment, in which there is a, uh, a great figure of myth who it turns out has these aspects littered throughout the planes um, who are sort of like versions of her and don't know it. But that, that's not what this is about. Uh, I think it's more likely that Rothfuss knows what Losi means, possibly something like fire or attractive uh, or, you know, beautiful, something, something, something. And that uh, he is sort of playing a little tongue in cheek joke for himself and having a bit of uh, continuity within the story about the importance of names or about names having the secret truth of a person. Uh, if he knows that the word Losi means something and then he names a character Losi. Yeah, I think that, I mean, I, I guess I was just assuming that Losini, which is her full name, derives, you know, back down the, the centuries from this Fey word. Yeah, but I also think that it means something and that it has something to do with her, with her character. I mean, we are in a book in which names are important. I think we can all agree that even Jeremy. Yeah, I think I'm agreeing with you. Yeah, I think we all agree. Good, then we all agree. Wonderful. Congratulations, friends. We have a letter today, if that's all. Yep. Mailbag. This letter is from Joe, who writes on page 506 to 509 regarding Tinkers. Hello, all. The slow regard of silent things greatly changed how I think about the function and importance of Tinkers. I believe that Aori's comings and goings in the underthing are analogous to the work of the Tinkers. Perhaps not as purposeful or as magical as Aori's comings, goings, and arrangings underneath the university, but still important. Tinkers go about helping things and people get where they need to be. It seems like the most professional of them are able to pick out when a person needs what a person needs and provide it to them while also taking some things from a given customer and moving them down the road. As we see the Tinker do with Quoth, perhaps the greater purpose of all this traveling is to help right or wreck the world somehow in the interests of the shapers or namers. Would love to hear what you guys think. Signed, Joe. It's an interesting concept. I could be convinced. I certainly like it. I believe that Auri's compulsion to see things in their proper place is not a mental illness and is tied into magic somehow. Uh, and if there is a magic in the world about things being in their proper place, then the Tinkers certainly align with that. Uh, to me, the Tinkers are probably a solution that Rothfuss had to come up with in order to like get some stuff into Quoth's hands. And he incorporated that into the fabric of his world because it's it's a great solution to have these characters who everyone knows just sort of travel around bringing you important things. And then to further incorporate that into a key character like Auri, that that is great. Great writing. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure we're going to get a, uh, a straight answer, but I believe Joe when he points out that that Auri and the Tinkers sort of have a uh, some similarities in how and what they seem to do. I have nothing constructive to add. Yeah, um, I also have nothing constructive. I'm just mulling over this idea. I li- like, I like the idea. I could be convinced, but that's sort of where I'm at. Well, uh, you have at least until page a thousand and something of this book to convince us on tomorrow's page. Uh, the wind. Wind.